Hi, everyone, and welcome to season two of the Yonsei podcast. I'm Hiro from Nikkei Rising, and I'll be one of your hosts. As the young adult branch of Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages, we'll be bringing you roundtable discussions with young adults involved in and around the Japanese American community to honor our community's history and explore its implications today. It's good to be back, y'all. I'm Matt, your other co host for today's episode, and we're super excited to return to the Yonsei podcast for season two and all the awesome programs from Nikkei Rising. As we start off this season, we'll look at the history of voter suppression and the importance of voting not only for the Japanese American community, but for all people of color in the United States. Our first guest today is Amy Watanabe, who is the board chair of Kizuna and sits on the board for a few other organizations on the local and national level. She is also involved in the current election. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Our second guest today is Carmen Chow, a board member of the New York City chapter of the Japanese American Citizens League and who currently works in New York City politics. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome back, everyone, to the Yonsei Podcast. So, as we start season two, let's get right into the swing of things. So, our first question for our guest today is historically, in what ways have minority groups been suppressed from voting? Generally, I would say if you're a non white male, you probably were not able to vote. And if you were a white woman, you were the next to vote. And then it goes from there. But when we talk about racial minorities, They tend to be the biggest groups that have been suppressed from voting. And we can get more into like the nitty gritties of the different other marginalized communities, like people with disabilities, transgendered folks, and gender non conforming folks. And the list goes on. But even today, like we're still seeing it. And it's not, sadly, it's not new. But these groups are still, we're still facing barriers to voting when it should be pretty simple. When it comes to registering to vote, going out to vote, requesting mail in ballots, and much more from voter ID laws to voter intimidation and voter roll purges, for example, and just the accessibility of voting and the whole process, whether it's available in our languages, if they're ADA compliant or accessible in various different ways. Those are all really great examples of how minority groups have been suppressed. You know, I think just really. Having direct challenges and efforts to discriminate or disenfranchise us, whether it was through the poll taxes or literacy tests and comprehension、mm-hmm. tests and voter ID laws, I think all of those are you know, exact examples of how people have targeted certain communities. And then today, you know, a lot of our communities、um, in the API communities are, in fact, af- affected by this, including others.、Um, so, you know, the lack of In language materials, to even just the physical lack of po-、uh, polling places and locations、mm-hmm. that are you know, easily accessible for them. I think those are some main examples of like, how we can see, based on geography or racial discrimination, that people have been suppressed. And I think I also want to note that when we talk about AAPIs, specifically with Pacific Islanders on territories, they don't really have a say in federal elections. And there's just like a whole complicated History of colonization, citizenship, and also like referring to season one, one of the episodes on citizenship. It's just a very complex idea, and tying into voting rights is just another concept to look into as well. 
when we talk about indigenous people in America. I completely agree with what both of you are saying. And something that I started to think about while y'all were talking is the fact that all four of us come from families of immigrants who have had their voting rights suppressed in some way. And now as their descendants, we have the opportunity to vote and voice our opinion. That being said, why do you think voting is so important, especially for communities of color? I think, Hero, that in the question is how I would answer it. You know, our families, our communities have definitely been disenfranchised. And so it's really a privilege, although it's you know, a right that's been a hard-fought battle, and um, we do consider it right. There's still voter su- suppression that continues to be really real for, you know, our own families and communities just right in our backyard. And so I think that voting is so important because it's the easiest way to make, to affect change. It's one of the most critical and easiest ways to affect change. And, you know, it's electing people that are going to be representative of our communities that understand the needs Um, the challenges that we have, and to be able to be that voice. And really, voting is important because, you know, there might be people that um, really truly understand the issues. And I think that it doesn't have to be just the federal level that we're looking at, but looking at the state and local elections, those are real ways that we can actually have change um, that has huge impact in how it affects us as individuals and locally. Yeah, I completely agree with Amy. And I think like, when I first started getting interested in voting, it was a focus on federal and congressional races. But for me, I barely saw my congressional reps. It was more the city councilors and state senators, state assembly members here in New York City that I would see. And you could see local things happening, like how clean is your park? How are the roads doing? Are they all busted? Are you kind of hitting bumps here and there in different areas when you're driving? How's the public transit? How are your public schools? All of these very local things are very political and they go into the people that we vote. But I also personally vote because um, we build voting power. One of the first exposures that I got into civic engagement was in high school when I was doing a, an after school program and I was taught about how Asian Americans aren't really paid attention to because we don't really get engaged locally, whether it's like, well, one of the driving points was that we don't turn out to vote a lot. But this was roughly 2011 for me when I was in high school. But now that's like 2020, one of the biggest election years that we have. APIs are one of the biggest voting blocks. I think we have become the fastest growing voting block. In the past 20 years, we more than doubled our voting block compared to any other like racial group. So that's very powerful for me. Um, It's not just to say like, hey, we live in your district, like you should talk to us and get to know us. But it's more like you should be talking to us, like where your constituents, where your public school students and alumni, where your public transit riders, where your workers, we go, we go and live in your district and we don't live single issue lives. And the more you pay attention to us, the better you can craft policy for us too. So it's not just going out and voting and affecting change, but also just making sure that you're being heard and you're just building that power to also help better your community overall. So if you keep voting, um, there's going to be more language accessibility for when you vote, for example, or more funding for very specific cultural organizations, for example. And that's a great point. I mean, as we talked about, our community was you know, excluded from the process. And I really love that notion that, 
we can't let this boat go to waste. It's our voice that we have, you know, fought for decades um, to have that power and to use our vote is building power. There's so many different ways, whether it's like as an activist, um, you know, working for a nonprofit, uh, working in government. But for this, it's really just building all of those pieces together to really build that power and so that we can have people elected or pass policies that really best represent, you know, our ideas and our values and, and protect, you know, the things that we care about. Yeah, I think those are all extremely important and, and wonderful reasons why it's so important for, well, for, frankly, anyone to vote, but especially for communities of color and for other marginalized communities to get out to vote. And I think that actually sort of the discussion we had sort of actually segues away to another question we were thinking about is, why is it so important for politicians and other elected officials to go out and talk to the AAPI community and to other disenfranchised communities and other marginalized communities to try and get their vote and talk to the voters, as opposed to just sending out these mass sort of media ads that you see on TV and social media and YouTube and all over the place. Carmen touched upon that, you know, APIs are the fastest growing demographic. And although we, we're growing and our numbers are there and we are a growing part of the electorate, our actual voter turnout is really low. It's, it's like around 50%. And API Vote has done really great studies on this, so I would definitely check them out. But with that, you know, people, we have that power and the numbers there, but we haven't been paid attention to by politicians and elected officials. And just like in life, if you're not being heard or you're not being paid attention to, you kind of feel like people don't care about you. And when you care about something, you're going to turn out the vote. You're going to come out and you're going to really support these efforts. And so if politicians and elected officials target Asian American and Pacific Islander voters, um, people are going to feel like their voices are being heard and they're going to come out and vote. And we're learning that um, as APIs are the fastest growing demographic, they're also showing up in some of our most critical battleground states. Mm -hmm. And so they really could be that margin of victory for, you know, the local state and ultimately federal election as well. Yeah, I think just the more you pay attention to us, the better a candidate, a campaign and an elected official you could have and run. Just understanding our communities and the nuances of our communities just leads you to be a better advocate for the community. So why not? And if you reach out to API voters, that's more votes for you. What's the harm in doing that? Everyone who runs for office always wants more votes and they want to win ultimately. So why not reach out to us? And that can also turn into campaign donations too. Like we're not just voters. We're also donors on top of being your constituents and people who live in your district. And we're also not like an awkward, weird racial group. Like we're people too. We share the same issues that all of your non-POC constituencies are also facing too. So like if we live in the same neighborhoods, we probably go to the same schools, same supermarkets, same libraries. Like those are all the resources that we share. So don't alienate us. Reach out to us. There's just like a lot of opportunities to reach out and get involved in our community, get to know us and just helping us be a better community, uplifting one of us, uplifts all of us. So why not? And that's a great point that it can turn into, you know, the monetary support to help have a successful campaign. It really is that person to person connection, um, you know, showing people that you actually genuinely care about the issues and you're trying to get to know them as an individual, understand their community um, 
And and when people feel understood, they're going to have more buy-in to learn more about you as a candidate and, you know, consider voting for you when they might not have even thought about voting because no one has reached out to them. And Mm -hmm. that's been one of the interesting things we've been doing phone banking for this election. And we're specifically reaching out to Japanese Americans in North Carolina, Arizona, and Michigan and Texas. And we've gotten responses saying, I've never been called before. And I know that's happening across the board for APIs. And so there's really, it is a missed opportunity. And as Carmen mentioned, you know, don't alienate us by alienating. You are definitely losing out on an incredible number of votes and feature, you know, support and building that political pipeline and, or that culture of being civically engaged. Yeah, I'll also add, I really feel that because even all these years that I've been registered to vote, I feel like I've only gotten mailers and that tends to be the default point of contact for a lot of campaigns because it's easy. You just kind of do a blanket mailer to everyone in the district. But how many times are they actually translated into languages that target specific neighborhoods and specific communities that don't speak English? So that's always been like a barrier for me and my family. And there's just a lot of times where I've noticed that the more you vote, especially in off-season years and the primaries and not just general, the more likely you're also going to be contacted by a campaign too. And I want to add in, don't just reach out to us, but hire us from the community. If I see, if I grew up here, chances are I probably know a lot of people who live around me within maybe like a 10 block radius or so. And that's still a pretty large radius. So I'm not going to really feel comfortable if a white man approaches me in my community and goes, hey, have you voted for this person yet? Like, this is a complete stranger. But if you're hiring someone from the community that everyone knows and speaks the same language and is very like culturally competent, then people are more likely to approach that staffer and just be more inclined to spend a few extra seconds to listen to what they have to say about a certain candidate and get engaged and potentially even vote for that candidate. As we discuss about the lack of connection between politicians and the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, and on top of that, this lack of engagement within the communities to vote, in what ways can people get involved in voter engagement? I think that can be a scary question for some people. They think that it has to be in some really big gesture, but people can get involved in both, you know, that a big and in small ways from being a poll worker to spending some evenings or afternoons phone and text banking to volunteering with a campaign and and going out and canvassing. And it can be as small as even just educating your friends and family, you know, about registering to vote, sharing with them your perspective and what interests you and, and what issues you care about and why those candidates or certain uh, laws that are being voted upon have a real impact. And and to show that real impact or the the real connection that these elected officials or these policies that are being voted upon have in your own life. And I think that personal connection is what can really inspire people to also get more civically engaged on their own. And then I would also add to look at organizations like API Vote, like JCL, there's so many local groups that are working, you know, to organize people nationally and locally to really get people to register to vote, to protect folks that when they're going out to the polls, that they're not facing voter suppression um, and people that are just kind of getting their friends and family together to do a phone bank together. Yeah, I think when I first joined my 
the first time I joined a campaign, it was pretty intimidating because if it's your first time on a campaign, chances are you're probably going to be speaking to strangers, whether on the phone or in person. And if you're a little shy, like I was, um, you can definitely start off with text banking. So you don't have to do it face to face. People can campaigns or even nonprofits. They do have these civic engagement uh, opportunities like Amy was speaking about. If there is a local CBO that you're in touch with, definitely reach out to them and ask if they're doing any, if they have any efforts for getting out the vote um, and just regular civic engagement opportunities that you could be a part of. And I'm sure they're more than happy to have you volunteer with them because I feel like in New York City, at least, a lot of Asian American CBOs are really getting involved now. So there are a lot more opportunities to join in. And you can just take a few hours, even just one night a week, if you want to grab a bunch of friends and have them join you and do the same thing. It's definitely more fun if you're able to make it like a competition, like, oh, wow, I just convinced someone to vote tonight. Or you could say, I reached 20 voters and they seem very receptive. You could do little things like that to motivate you. And there are different opportunities, such as like working as a poll worker too, especially during COVID, where traditionally it's been older people, but with COVID, that's not really a big possibility now. So they're looking for younger people to get involved. And if your state has early voting, in-person early voting, you could make some extra bucks and go and work a few days. Um, it's easy money. You just sit there helping people who come in. It's not too hard. and. If you're not eligible to vote as well, if you're not like a citizen, for example, I know in New York City, there's participatory budgeting that lets residents, workers and students in city council districts vote on which projects that they want city discretionary funding to fund. So there are still little ways that you're able to get engaged. And I always recommend getting engaged however you can locally, too. And it just doesn't stop at only citizens. And last thing I want to plug in is exit poll work to just see how API voters and even like BIPOC people experience voting. So I know that ALDEF is one organization that does exit polling and they're looking for volunteers across the country. And they do this almost every federal election cycle. And they're always looking for people who speak multiple or at least like one Asian dialect to reach voters in specific states and see how it went. Did they feel intimidated? Were they able to successfully vote? Did they know how to vote? Were they able to get their ballots easily? So it's there are many ways to get involved and definitely get involved if you can. Again, if you're from the community, why not go and help your community? I, mean, I think those are all wonderful ways and, and resources that people can get out to vote and make sure that they can also help others get out to vote because I think that's the most important thing is helping people who are either afraid or don't know how to vote, or this is their first time voting and they are really unsure of themselves and how the process goes. There are plenty of resources and ways for them to be able to help others. And I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And since we've come up sort of through all of the questions that we had planned, is there anything else that you all want to talk about? Any other things you want to touch upon before we uh, wrap up for today? Yeah, make sure you're registered to vote. Check your voter registration. Make sure you know where your poll sites are. Um, your early voting locations may be different from your election day ones. Check the hours as well. Check your 
absentee ballots or mail-in ballot instructions too. They they differ from state to state. And also maybe don't take a selfie with your ballot. That also varies from state to state. Make a voting plan. That's always a big reminder. I think it making a voting plan helps increase voter turnout by like 10%. And that's still better than like nothing. That's still probably a good amount of people that actually go out and vote because they made a plan. You think it's maybe like a five minute task, but it may take longer. Like, oh, I'll just go out to dinner or before dinner. And then maybe dinner took a little too long. So making a voting plan is crucial. And I definitely encourage it. Oh, yeah, because we've already seen in some states where early voting has already started, that lines are six plus hours. So definitely make sure you you make that plan to vote. Yeah. Um, Amy, anything you want to add, though? I would just add that you know, don't let the whole process intimidate you. Like it's a learning process for everyone. I'm learning this election more than I, you know, had the past few elections that I've been able to vote myself and, you know, join with friends and family, talk about it, find people that you trust to, you know, just learn more about the process and be able to bring others with you. I think that that's like, it's building community together and building power together during this whole process. I've had a few friends who were just unsure how to go about this whole process with it being their first time and all. So just like you said, I too completely encourage everybody to ask for help if they need help going through this process and be sure to get it out there. The Nikkei Rising team, we would highly encourage everybody to go out and vote. When we release this episode, you should still have about a week before election day. So yeah, just get out there. Pokemon, go to the polls. Make a plan with some friends. And go out and vote. It's always more fun when it's a friend, especially when you're all wearing masks and six feet apart. (laughs) Well, with that being said, Matt and I would like to thank both of you, Carmen and Amy, for joining us today. It really was a pleasure to be able to speak with y'all. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you all so much again. And thank you, Carmen, for listing all those things because I was going to list them and you saved me the trouble of it. (laughs) No worries. This was fun. Thanks for having me. And let's all get out the API vote. Thanks for letting me be part of this conversation and see you after November 3rd. For all of our listeners, be sure to join us for our next episode. As we move forward with season two, we'll be looking to release one to two episodes a month. So make sure you follow us on our social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Nikkei Rising for release dates, episode titles, descriptions, and guests, as well as other updates from the Nikkei Rising programs. To listen to all of season one, you can find the Yonsei podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages website. The Yonsei Podcast is made by Hiro Edeza, Michelle Heckert, Yoko Fedorenko, Johnny Narita, and Matthew Wisebly, with theme music by Michelle Heckert. This episode is edited by Hiro Edeza, and now we are sponsored by the Minidoka Pilgrimage Planning Committee. This has been the Yonsei Podcast, and it's been Yonsei! <laughs> Jeez, I haven't heard that in forever. <laughs>